Father, as I prayed earlier, I pray again that you would keep us humble to receive and teachable. God, for those who are in a difficult place in this topic that we look at, Holy Spirit, you are the healer, you are the helper, and I pray that you would do a supernatural thing in the midst of us. God, I pray you would keep us humble to receive your truth, that we could look honestly and objectively at our lives Instead of being led by emotions and feelings of the moment, that we would look at our lives in a, pl- in a way that causes us to reflect honestly, and that you would give us a willingness to submit to what it is that you say, and an openness to understand truth, when maybe we've already jumped to a conclusion of what this simply means, but looking at the totality of your word, the totality of the counsel of your word, I got to be honest, God, as I've done that, there's still questions that I have. And I want to approach it, God, in a way that is so true to you and loving to your people, convicting and encouraging, God, we want that, whatever it takes, because we want to live live and love like Jesus. So Holy Spirit, take this time, I pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. My goal for life, and then as I lead our community, is that we would follow the scriptures the best that we can with the revelation that God provides by his Holy Spirit so that we will love him well and live the life that brings him glory. Please know that as we move into this. And as I've studied and looked at, and I, guys, there are people on all, in the, so many different spectrums of this topic. And all of them I respect, well, not all of them. A lot of them I respect. Those that I respect, they don't all fall into one camp. And so when we approach topics like this, when we go into the scriptures, friends, we have to walk in with a sense of humility. If something's brought up and you sit there and go, I've never heard that, I don't agree with it, therefore you are wrong, I wanna challenge you to pull back, at least start to have the conversation. I love to have that conversation, so long as it's a conversation. If it's the point of getting into a debate, you just wanna kind of vent your concerns, fine, I'll listen to it, but let's not make it the debate of the lifetime. Let's go toward truth. I want to make sure that we're looking at the total counsel of God. Friends, there's no way that we can take one verse in Scripture and apply this topic to that one verse when there are so many different avenues that we go into as we look at the topic of divorce and marriage. So I know that for some, um, it's very easy um, to preach topics that are acceptable to our culture and helpful to our culture. I am not going in that route. I will always do what I, I do my homework, I promise. I sit and study and pray, and there's a prayer team that prays for me. Um, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of woke culture. I don't believe in that. What I believe is truth, objective truth, that what God has stated is true. But the totality of his word, we look at the whole thing, and so I just ask for those that already have an idea of what you believe about this, beautiful. Um, but let's try to dig deeper what it is that God is saying. Um, and so that we can understand truth. And so the majority of this marriage, uh, or the, sorry, the, the majority of this message for the morning is this. I wanna look at what's happening now. And so for those that have experienced a divorce in the past, or even if it's the recent past, um, or maybe you've been divorced and you're remarried, I want you to look at right now. You're remarried. What do you do about your marriage right now? The followers of Jesus were supposed to have a marriage that is supposed to exemplify what a relationship between Jesus and his church looked like. Then when the world looks at our marriages, they go, what's, so, what's, what's wrong with you people? Like, why do you guys still like each other? Why is there this attitude of serving one another completely? Like, where does that come from? And so we'd be able to say, well, this, this is actually supposed to be a picture of what a relationship between me and my Jesus looks like. And then all of a sudden you get to bring Jesus into the conversation. So for those that are married, 
want to see what it is that God says. For those that aren't married, maybe you're single, and maybe for some of you, you're sitting there being, you're tired of being single. I get that. I understand that. But here's what I want to counsel you. As a guy, I'm 49. I know, for some of you, that's shocking. Let me do a little side note just to remind you, I still get humbled by people. I'm, I'm starting to get back into golf. Anybody has some tip or, or tips for me, please let me know because I want to be the perfect golfer. I don't want to be that guy that has to work on it. I want to be perfect every single time. Make it pro, and you guys can come watch me play as I go watch Morgan go to the Olympics. But I go to this uh, driving range in Glendora on Mondays uh, as part of my Sabbath. Just put my earbuds in, and I just start hitting balls. I haven't even lost my temper yet. Praise the Lord. But I remember I walked. This was past, past, past Monday morning. I go up front. I said, can I get a bucket, a large bucket? And she goes, um, oh, is that, is that the senior bucket? Friends, I missed an opportunity. I should have said yes. <laughs> she didn't ask are you, my age. I should have said absolutely, because I've heard it's cheaper. Sure, thank you, absolutely. I then came home and told my wife, I looked at her and said, I'm so sorry that you have to be married to this, because I'm 49. The way she said it, it was like she thought it was an 80-year-old walking in going, nope, that's okay, but I should have taken it. Anyway, so there's the wisdom, I guess. Maybe it's the gray beard. I didn't have gray hair before I had kids, so I blame it on them. But those of you who are single, don't rush it. Take your time. Think through it. Pray through it. Even if you have parents that are looking at you saying, when are you, when are you? I want to counsel you. Slow down. Parents, if you, are, if you are rushing your kids, stop it. Let them follow the leading of the Lord. Let them follow what it is that he desires. Because do you realize, for those that just have this burden, and I know it's like, oh, but I want to be married and I want grandkids. I get all that. And man, well, that's a beautiful thing. But do you realize that the Bible actually talks about singleness as a good thing? It actually says that it's better like, no, that doesn't fit the whole thing I've had in my mind for my whole life. No, no, no. Let God's word say it. It's better. But it's not a sin to get married. It's not a sin to stay single. But we want to follow the Lord's leading. For those who've been, you've just been waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Then meet God in the waiting and allow him to make you into who he wants you to be. And if God opens the door one day that you get to be married, then you are prepared to take on a spouse and to love them completely rather than waiting for them to complete you. Slow down. There's no rush. And please know that from this church community, there is no judgment on you about this. We're just, we're just glad you're here and we're glad that you're part of this. Single or married, but we want to approach this topic from where we are right now. So before we get into in Matthew chapter 5, we've got to go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. God created everything. In Genesis chapter one, it's like the umbrella view of God's creation. In Genesis chapter two, it gets a little bit more detailed. He creates Adam first. Eve's not around. And he gives them this responsibility. Yeah, he says, Adam, I want you to work the ground and keep it. The word keep there means to protect or to guard it. And then he looks and starts thinking about Adam's got all the plants and animals and oceans and everything that are filled with the oceans. And then animals and God sits there. The first thing that God said, this is not good. The only thing he says, or the first time he says it, is when Adam, he looks, he says, Adam's alone. This isn't good. So I'm going to make him a helper fit for him. 
That's what it says here in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to ha- make him a helper fit for him. And so then God forms woman. And we'll read that in just a second. And so for, maybe for some, you look at that and go, I ain't no helper. I don't know helper. I'm a woman. Yes, you are a woman. But think of it this way. Think of it this way. God looked at the man and all the responsibilities that the man had, Adam had, and went, there is no way that this man can do this by himself. He needs a woman. And the woman's a helper to what it is that I've called him to do. Here's how I, I remember reading a book by Claire Smith. And he said, I think she called it God's good design. Uh, married people, remember your first dance? How awkward that is as everyone watches you dance. And for those of you that lack the, the ability or the spiritual gift of rhythm, isn't that a great experience? Now, don't be looking at me. I got the rhythm. I mean, it's, it's deep down, but I still got it. But for those that struggle, I get it, but everyone's just watching. You're in the middle. Everyone's just surrounding you, just standing you, taking pictures like paparazzi. And I remember when our first dance, we, we, we had our dance, and, but we practiced because I wanted to make sure we looked good, and we did. But I led. But Kelly didn't look at me and say, okay, you've led enough. My turn. No, my turn. And we fought about who got to do it. The goal of marriage is to what? Is to enjoy the dance. That's the whole purpose of it. Just enjoy the dance. And so when God makes a helper fit for him, this is them coming together. They complement one another. The Christian Standard Bible translates it as corresponding to him. It's like face-to-face. That's what the Hebrew word means, face-to-face or opposite. Men and women, have you ever noticed how different we are? Men, have you ever looked at your wives as she's explaining something and just had this look on your face? But then you're just like, okay, don't have that look because the look on your face is this. I don't have a clue. Wow, it just got really silent. Like the Holy Spirit went silent. The Holy Spirit's saying, pay attention. No, here it is. I can't even think right now. Oh, you have that look on your face? And in your head, you're like, oh, pay attention. But you're sitting there going, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Not because you're not listening, but it doesn't compute. And women, wives, have you ever gotten kind of frustrated with your men because you're going, you are an idiot. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this makes no sense in the way that any human being on the planet works or thinks. There is no way that you actually think like that. And this is where it all of a sudden is like, well, let's just dog on the men and elevate the women or vice versa. What if we begin to, as a church, what I believe that God has called us to do as followers of him, we elevate male and female. We elevate them both to what it is that God has called us to be. Instead of deciding who's better and who's not, because isn't that way we have a culture now? Who does better at what? I could do better than they can do. So guys fighting about what they can do better than women and women fighting about what they can do better than men. And what if we just sit there as a church going, it doesn't matter. God created male and female. Therefore, they both are necessary. And to move into that place. And I know that for many, maybe in the past, you've had this run in with people who kind of take the scriptures and they just kind of twist it and and make it seem like, oh, men say what? And women just come along and make them dinner. That's not what the scriptures teach we go with what it is the scriptures teach. We show a culture and a society, we are different. And, the, and we're different and what we're different in actually works because we're obedient to what it is that God has called us to because I appreciate the fact that my wife sees things different than I do. And I see things different than she does. And when that happens and we appreciate that about each other rather than get frustrated by that, we actually make better decisions when we learn to Complement our weaknesses, comp- our strengths and weaknesses complement one another. That's complementarian. We're complementarian the way that we relate with one another. Listen to how he created it in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. 
And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so we see here in Genesis chapter 2, that God is the one who created marriage. He started it. It's his invention. The world doesn't get to take it over. Then we look at this idea of covenant. Guys, marriage isn't a contract. For those of you who have, those of you who have a business, you have to sign contracts. You're making sales deals. You have to make contracts, right? But it doesn't mean that you enter into a contract, you sign the paperwork and go, I just have a deep connection relationally with this person. But a covenant is different. It sounds like contract because in a covenant, we're both coming in saying, I'm going to do this part of the responsibility. You're going to do this. We're going to come together with this understanding of what we're supposed to do, our responsibilities, but it's within the confines of the, or in the quote unquote contract of relationship. That's covenant. Tony Evans, a pastor out in Texas says this, keep in mind that a covenant is much more than a contract. A contract involves requirements and expectations that can be fulfilled in the absence of any personal relationship. However, a covenant always includes a relationship as well. It has the legal considerations of a contract, but includes an essential relational component. Friends, we need to understand that marriage is a beautiful gift that was given to us by God to represent what a covenant relationship with him looks like. But that being the ideal, but we also have to walk into it with our eyes wide open, realizing that the brokenness of the world and our sin nature impacts our relationship with each other right? And so what do we do and how do we approach it? We have to deal with how sin breaks up relationships and fellowships with other people. We have to deal with sinful desires of the flesh that can stop us from growing in deeper intimacy with Jesus and with other people. And yet God had an original intention for why it is that he created marriage. I wrote this in my notes. The covenant marriage relationship should be thoughtfully and prayerfully entered into and then tenaciously and passionately protected at all costs. The marriage relationship should be thoughtfully and prayerfully entered into and then tenaciously and passionately protected at all costs. And so what does Jesus say about it? Remember last week, if you were here, we, talked on the, we looked at the topic of adultery and what Jesus said. Hey, you've heard that it said don't commit adultery, but I tell you that any man who looks with a lustful intent upon a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so we've been looking at how Jesus is saying, I want you to deal with the heart first before you just do with the actions. Because if all that you do is deal with the actions, it doesn't mean that your heart's been changed. So he says, it starts with the intention of the heart. And then as you look at Jesus's sermon, the next thing that he brings in is this. And it seems like you start to see how it interconnects. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of a divorce. Now, hold on for just a second. Let's go with that for just a, just a quick second. Let, her give him, let, her, let him give her a, a certificate of divorce. Where does Jesus get this? In Deuteronomy chapter 24, look at verse 1. It says this, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And then it continues on talking about how she remarries and then kind of gives some instructions about that. But that, that, there's that phrase, she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency. But why the certificate? Guys, there was no such thing as a certificate of divorce in the East back then, nothing. And so here comes God saying, okay, Moses, tell him, give him a certificate of divorce. Why? Because it was thought this, 
If there's no certificate of divorce and say that there's a divorce, in other words, the husband just either leaves or tells her to go. That if at any point he goes, I changed my mind, it could be years down the road and say that she's remarried. He could then go and take her back and she has no say in it. So what God was doing was elevating the, the place of women in society to protect them because of what? The fallenness of our own nature. That's why he puts that in there. But there was a great debate. I don't, know if you've, I don't know if you've noticed, there seems to be a debate about everything. And when I'm reading all these things about it, and guys, I mean, hours and hours and hours for the last few weeks, if not the last few months as I read books and worked through it, guys, there are so many different opinions. There are debates. And even back then, there were two houses of thought. The first one was the house of Shammai. The second was known as the house of Hillel. The house of Shammai, they were the much more strict conservative view. The house of Hillel, they were the more liberal view. It kind of fits with how we usually, you know, How we divide things today, they were dividing it then. Here's what the house of Shammai said. A man should divorce his wife only because he has found grounds for it in unchastity or she has been sexually immoral. Where does this come from? It's that one statement there in Deuteronomy 24.1. She finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. That's all that God gives in his word. And so they have to define what that means. So in their minds, they go, nothing but sexual morality. That's it. House of Hillel says this. What it means is, even if she spoils his food, like she burns his toast and he's done with it, kick her out. You can divorce her in the moment. Those are the two thoughts. There's a rabbi, his his name was Rabbi Akiba. He said this, even if he found someone else prettier than she, since it is said, and it shall be if she finds no favor in his eyes. In his mind, he goes, that means you find someone more attractive? Ditch the one and go to the next. Those are the two debates that are going, that's where they landed. And so is it possible that now Jesus knowing, because the majority of his audience are Jewish people, as, he's, as he starts to preach on it, he knows these two thoughts and he's going to address it. He's gonna address the topic. But also notice he doesn't address it often. So we go on back to chapter five, verse 31 to 32. It was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual morality commits or makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And see, we have to come to an understanding of what Jesus thinks about divorce. I mean, it's a strong statement, yes? And so for those that have gone through a divorce, you're going to go, uh-oh, or I feel uncomfortable, hang in there. Because I said, my goal is not to just shame, and my goal is to make sure we're all moving towards truth so we can live in the freedom that God has given us that's according to his scriptures. I wanna go into a deeper detail of what Jesus said in actually Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse three. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Any cause, this would be the house of Hillel. Whatever, like this is what they're saying. You can divorce her for anything you want. You find someone prettier, she burns your food. And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning? That means before Deuteronomy. Before Deuteronomy 24, he takes them back to Genesis. That from the beginning, he made them male and female. Friends, I want to make sure that we understand this. The scriptures are clear. And please know, and if you have family members or you're listening or you're here and you struggle with this, this is not an attack on you. God defined marriage between a male and a female, between a man and a woman, It's a different relationship than any other friendship or relationship that we can have on the planet. And I believe that it's possible 
and I put possible in quotes, that we have moved every idea of what an intimate relationship with people look like based on whether or not you can be romantically involved with them and to have sex with them. And I do not believe that that's what the scriptures teach. Jesus was single, Paul was single, and Jesus entered into intimate friendships and fellowships with people. Have we settled for the quick fix of an erotic pleasure and thinking that's the depths of intimacy, or is there something that's greater in intimacy when we actually move into what agape love is between people? God set it up. He defines it, and whatever the culture may say does not mean that we can now change the idea of what marriage is. So Jesus defines it. And you have to deal with what it is that Jesus said here. Do we come under what it is that he says or do you say, yeah, but I wanna make sure. And even as we talk in this topic, I don't wanna ever jump into the, yeah, but. So he says, from the beginning, made the male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife or cling to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So he takes them back to the beginning. When God brings two people and makes them one and divorce happens, you know why it's so painful? It's because there's only one way to take that which has become one and to make it two again. And what is it? It's to tear. That's it. And with any tearing, there is pain. And any, any pain, it just leaves marks and things to work through. And so please understand when God's like, I hate divorce. I hate, it's nice. He's unsaid to go, I hate those who divorce. It's like, I hate it. Why? Because it's the mingling of the souls that have come together, not just this physical bond, but there's this mingling of the souls that happens. And when, it, when divorce happens, it tears at us. It tears at our souls and healing has to come. But praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit is the great healer. And so for those of you who have gone through it or you're going through it now, I promise you that the Holy Spirit will walk, through this, through, walk you through the stages and the process of healing. But there is a reason where, God's, where Jesus is like, this is such a strong statement. I wanna make sure you understand my teaching in this. And then he goes in verse eight, he says, he said to them, I'm sorry, verse seven, they asked him, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and, and to send her away? That's a legitimate question. Friends, there should come times where we're reading the scriptures and go, wait, 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 wait. It says it here, but why is it when I turn here, it says this? Like, how does this come together? And if you don't ever have those questions, I'm wondering why. Is it because maybe we're reading the same thing, which I can tell you we're not because we do a Bible reading plan to go through the Bible, but are we actually engaging, asking questions, trying to figure out truth, or do we just accept just the surfacey idea of what I'm used to because I'm comfortable with it? So I, I'm wondering, okay, they're there, they're, they are there to test him. It's like, wait a minute, you're saying this. Moses said to give him a certificate of divorce. How does that make sense? How is that okay? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart. That's why. In other words, sin entered the world. From the beginning, before sin, it was like this. But sin enters and all of us in relationships and fellowship with people, it's broken and hurting. And so because of hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. There's an exception clause that Jesus threw in there, except for sexual morality. In Mark chapter 10, Mark doesn't record that. This is how he says it in Mark. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. But it doesn't have an exception clause. So you bring these two together to come to his truth. And then look at the response of the disciples. This is how they say. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. 
They understood the weight of what it is that Jesus was saying. It's like, this is huge. And this is, this is heavy stuff, Jesus. And then Jesus actually responds. He says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs, or those who are celibate, who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and that's, that's a whole castration, and therefore you can't get married and procreate and all that stuff. So that, there's a little weird stuff in this passage in the next part. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs or celibate for the sake of the kingdom. Some people can accept this and other people can't. Only those who can receive it, receive it. But for those who can't, enter into this with the severity that it is. This is a massive decision. I tell young people when I take them through premarital counseling, outside of surrendering your life to Jesus, this is the most important decision of your life. Therefore, go slowly and go in with your eyes wide open. And I know this probably doesn't sound like, ah, oh, you, you won't be like a dating coach. Probably not. Because I'm, I'm telling young adults, break up for anything. Break up for anything. Like if you're just in a just fighting all the time. Think about it. young adults, if you're dating someone and you fight more than enjoy each other, that might be a flag to pay attention to. He said, oh, but we love each other. Okay, but feeling the love for one another and actually loving one another is so different. And why is it we think that once I put the ring on the finger, that the fighting stops? Friends, slow down. Keep your eyes wide open. And then, as you enter into marriage, you commit, you fight, you're tenacious. You keep going after it, but take your time. So I understand from Scripture Divorce is not prescribed, but it is permitted. That's, that's true. Like when you see God put it here in Deuteronomy 24, Jesus even talks about when those who are remarried, it's like you don't leave your one spouse to go back to the first. It's never prescribed, but it's permitted. But Jesus would connect it to the hardness of heart. Now, maybe it wasn't your hardness of heart. Maybe it was your spouse's who gave up on the marriage. And we're going to get into that. And this is where you start going, Oh, my mind is spinning. Like, why can't we just talk about the love of God? Yeah, I feel like the love of God's even harder to understand, but I understand what you're saying. It's a little easier not to deal with this stuff, but I made a commitment, dang it, to talk about the Bible verse by verse, and then you have to jump into the topics that suck. And so we're gonna jump in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Listen to what Paul says. Just as inspired by the Lord, his, 1 Corinthians is just as much scripture as the rest of it. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. He's saying, this is what Jesus has said about it. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain, remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. When you see the word separate and divorce in that culture, it was the exact same idea. There was no differentiation between the two. And so he's actually saying the same thing. So he's looking at those who are followers of Jesus saying, I'm prescribing to you to stick together, be together. Now, what if you have a spouse that you married and they were followers of Jesus and all of a sudden they aren't and they're getting ready to abandon or they're, they're not following Jesus and they're just tearing into you. Guys, I do not believe that abuse is ever a reason to stay in a marriage because you say, I wanna follow Jesus. I believe that Jesus, I believe according to your word and hopefully you'll see this in the scriptures, I believe he's saying, get out because it's, it's enslavement, it's entrapment. It is not freedom, it's not relationship. Here's what I mean. Listen to me for just a second. Hang in there with me for the rest of it. He says, this is what Jesus said. I, I would say, Jesus, not, not me, the Lord. This is what he says. He says, stick together, be together. Verse 12, though, he says, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. So what do we do with that part of the Bible? When, he, when Paul says, I, I, this is my opinion. Do we sit there and go, well, it doesn't mean anything. Or do we look at the fact that he's apostle, he has the apostolic authority, he's been inspired to write the scriptures. What he's saying is, this is what I'm saying with authority, Jesus never talked on this topic. 
So let me apply what it is the scriptures teach to the specifics. Guys, I want to make sure that we, as we read the scriptures, that I, I don't want to be the kind of preacher that just talks about things that are way out here. and We have no idea how to apply them now. So we go to it. Verse 12, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For, an un, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. And you sit there and go, man, there's a whole lot. Of, how do you explain the whole thing? There's no way to explain all of that. But here's the idea. For those of, this is what was happening back in the day. Picture a person. There's this couple. One of them comes to follow Jesus. The other one doesn't. So there was this temptation. This person has come to know Jesus. This one doesn't. I want a spouse who loves Jesus. So I'm going to divorce this one and get a new one. I'm going to find one that loves Jesus. And here comes Paul going, don't do that. They're consenting to live. Don't do that. Why? Because you can have an impact on your spouse coming to know Jesus that they would be seen as holy. You can also have an impact on your kids. They'd be raised up to know Christ because we want them to come under this idea of holiness. So he's saying, don't jump into that. Or some were saying, okay, they don't, know, they don't know the Lord. I do. I'm going to divorce them and stay single. And here's Paul saying, no, that's not what you get to do. This was something that you entered into. And they're showing respect and love towards you. Don't just ditch them because they don't love Jesus. Have an impact on your spouse. But then you get to verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. I've always had these, I've heard this for years. Two, two ideas. One, um, of why you can divorce and separate. Sexual morality and abandonment. Those are the two that are pushed. Sexual, sexual morality, I'm sorry, sexual immorality and abandonment. If the unbelieving partner separates and other gets rid of you, divorces you, let it be so. Like you've done your part. In such cases, the brother or sister, the believer, is not, and here's the word they use is, enslaved. There is no place in all of Scripture where the Scriptures use this word to describe marriage. Nowhere. Enslaved. If they leave, you are no longer enslaved to them. God has called you to peace. And then he goes back to that topic we just looked at. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your life? So here's the thing. For those that say, only this. That's okay. Only sexual morality then why didn't Jesus mention abandonment that would come that Paul would talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? It seems like Paul brings up this other exception, abandonment. They just bolt and leave and ditch you. But he uses this phrase, friends, and it's not used very often. It says, in such cases. I'll get to that in just a second. For those of you who've experienced that, where you thought, we, we love Jesus, you get married and it's good, and all of a sudden it got bad. And they bolted and now it's, it's not this cordial love relationship in marriage. It's like they go against you, whether verbal or, man, if you're in a physical abusive relationship, get out. But I mean, they're, they're attacking you and they're saying, I'm, I don't want anything to do with this. He says, you're free, but we should first work toward reconciliation, like bring them to the leaders of your church community. And then Jesus actually has this idea of church discipline. And this is what happens, I think, we're so afraid of being raw and honest with each other that we feel ashamed because I can't tell you what's really happening with us. I'm really praying that this can be a place in a community where you can say, this is what's happening with us. 
and that there's myself and there's elders that, have, that shepherd me and shepherd with me, and to come and to say, this is where we're struggling, and to let us speak into it. Know that we're prayerful and we're looking at the scriptures, we're asking the Holy Spirit for directions. Like, what are you saying this, God? Like, give us wisdom, just like you did Paul to speak on the specific topic of abandonment. God, would you give us wisdom of what you want here? But if they are sinning against the spouse, and you guys have talked through it, listen to what Jesus says when it comes to discipline. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, so tell it to the leadership. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, now listen to Jesus' words, and these are so strong. Let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. In other words, he's saying, they're an unbeliever. That's what they would be thinking. When you hear tax collector or Gentile, they're thinking, unbeliever. So when you apply the topic of that, when you, talk, when you apply the teachings of church discipline to what it is that Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and they say, well, I'm out. I don't, want, I don't want to listen to church. I don't care what the leaders say. I don't want to do what they say. And they abandon. You're not supposed to be enslaved. You let them go. Why would Paul then say in such cases? It's a huge point, friends. For those of you that like to read all the theological books and get deep, there's a guy that I can't understand most of what he's saying. I'm trying to understand him, but his name's Wayne Grudem. He used to hold to just the, the two, sexual morality and abandonment. And then he sees this phrase, in such cases, this Greek phrase is nowhere else in the Bible. And we could look at it and say, well, what does it mean? He didn't say in such this case or in such a case. He doesn't make it a singular thing. He's like, in such cases, there are so many cases. There's so much out there that people are dealing with. This is what needs to happen. If you're in a case that's not mentioned in these two, bring it to us. Let us hear it. Let us pray with you and then point you to godly counselors. Guys, there's a woman that I, I, I recommend her to everyone. They say, do you know, a, do you know a, a counselor who loves Jesus? Absolutely, I do. And I trust her with all my heart because there are things, friends, I can't handle. And I know it. Man, back in the day, I could handle it all. I'm now, I'm now ready for the large bucket for the senior price at a golf course because there's wisdom that comes with going, I don't know how to handle everything. But let me point you to someone who's a little bit more experienced with it. Friends, I don't want you to take this passage or this, this whole message and go, I'm just looking for an out. I want an out. I want an out. Friends, we got to do it biblically. What God says, we want to stick with it, but we want to know what God says totally. So when he says, in such cases, what does he mean? I don't know. I don't know the list of what it is that fits in that. And I know that we like the list, that for those who like lists, and just give me truth, just tell me exactly what it means. I can't, because he doesn't give me other, other information about what that means. But he makes it sound like, in this case, Here's the counsel that I give because I too know that I have authority to teach you truth according to, according to what the Bible says. And when other cases that may seem similar or even different, I'm going to tell you this is what I think God says. Somebody say, Brian, that's a relative look at going with the scriptures. I don't believe that it is. What it means is that there are topics that we take the principles of what the Bible says and do our best at deciphering the will of God. Jesus never addressed porn. He never addressed internet addiction. 
He never really talked about addiction much, but I can take the principles of the scriptures and come to what it is that he teaches with regards to truth. It's in such cases, and that's the hardest part for us. And that's honestly most of the time where I think most of the fights come. Friends, this is where we seek godly counsel because Jesus doesn't want us to be enslaved. But this is not a green light to just go, I can't stand this person anymore. I'm out. Guys, if the only thing that you can say is, we don't want to be with each other because we don't like each other, that is not a justified reason for divorce. It's not part of it. You got to figure it out. And you got to stop faking it and just conveying to people around you, hey, things are great. It's wonderful. And then you go home and you're just at each other. Because what if there's someone who can actually speak some truth into your life to help you with where you are? For those of you that, are going, that you, have a, you have a rough go of it right now, find a count, or I'll give you the information for the counselor that I totally trust. Let me into it. I'll speak something. Hopefully that's helpful. Find an older couple who love Jesus and love each other and convey to them honestly how you're doing and how you're feeling and let them speak wisdom into you. Guys, I'm telling you, when you start to realize that you're not the only one struggling in something, it's awesome. I don't know what it is. We like really thrive when we hear that other people hurt. Like us, I mean, let me finish the statement, like us. <clears throat> I remember, in our, first, I, I remember our, uh, in our first year of marriage, we went, we went out with some friends, and I think they got married a month or two after us. We're just sitting there talking, it was then our first year, and they started talking about the things that they were, like little fights that would pop up, and we just sit there and go, we're normal. That's great, I'm so glad you struggle. Also, I remember us sitting down and having a chat, and there was a couple that I, I did their wedding, and within their first year, they came over for dinner, and we're just listening to their stories, and I'm sitting there going, we've been there. This is normal, because once you hear this is normal, like you can get out, yeah, this is, this is part of it. Just think about it. You're going to become somebody's roommate for the rest of your life, and they don't think like you or see things like you do at all. For those of you who are very tidy and neat, when you marry, if you marry somebody who's not, what are you going to do? How do you get over that? What if they're early risers and you're not? How come they're not sensitive to me? Why are they not sensitive? How do, you learn, how do you learn to live with that person? No, better this. How do you learn to love them well? And so you walk with people who have gone before you, and they speak into your life. But this whole individualistic view of going into marriage, just the two of us, we got this. We're going to take on hell with a water pistol. Like this is just the two of us. Guys, that's not community. All of us come together and we do this. And so you be honest. We'll be honest and say, this is where we, this is where we saw the joys. This is where some of the struggles. This is what we did. So we can move forward. Why? Because we want to have marriages that honor Jesus. But we also have to deal with the brokenness of the world. And I covet your prayers as I walk through things with people to give godly counsel of what we can do and how we can help. And we point them back to what Jesus says. And we show grace in the process. And so after hours and hours of studying, praying, being prayed over, I still need to keep studying because I do not want to speak things that I do not believe I'm 100% confident this is what God says. However, I do believe God does not prescribe divorce, but he does permit it. The idea of sexual morality, abandonment, and in such cases, those of you in abusive relationships, 
I believe that fits under in such cases. And we could sit there and we could say, but what about, but what about, but what about, and I can't go through all of those from here in a 45-ish minute message. There's no way. But I'll take you to lunch. I'll hear both of your hearts. We'll bring elders together and we'll pray with you and talk through and I'll get you connected to counseling and I'll get you connected to people in our church who love Jesus and have marriages that are solid and are moving forward. I'll do my best to help with all this. But I do not want to throw out a blanket statement that one just makes those who just say, that one verse, Jesus said it, done. Guys, you got to take the whole Bible. I also do not want to just say, this one verse gives one huge green light of license to do anything you want that makes you feel good because there is no truth in that either. What I do know is that God wants our marriages to represent him, and he wants us to enjoy the enjoyment, have the enjoyment of marriage. One man, one woman, for eternity, or not for eternity, for this life, because there's no marriage after this. We want to honor him now. I wrote this in my notes. We want God's standards to be our lifestyle. We want God's standards to be our lifestyle. So what is Jesus's standard? And let me finish up. I'm so sorry, but worship team, I'm, I've gone a little late. Let me... Uh, Let me read this, back to Jesus' standard. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Friends, for those of you who are married, first time or more, we start here. Today, we start here. This is what we live. The past stuff, guys, the scripture does not say, well, if you're remarried, ditch that one, get back to, doesn't say that. Right now, what you're supposed to do, what we're supposed to do is we tenaciously protect our marriages from anything. We keep our minds focused away from the things that would draw us and have desires for other things or other people. We stay focused and committed to marriage because the standard that God gives us is what? One man, one woman, till death do us part. Let no man Let no men separate. Let no person separate. Why? They're no longer two but one flesh. God has brought us together. For those of you that are going through a divorce or have, say you haven't gotten remarried, you're still dealing with the pain and the hurt of it, my prayers are for you. And and if you need to share your story, I would love to hear it. And let's walk through it so I can get, and I'll get you connected with other people who can tell you their story and that you can relate with them and, Let's work through the process instead of just, this is what I say in 45 minutes, do it. Let's do this from the concept of relationship, covenant with one another. But I promise you this, God wants to heal you. He wants to heal your heart. He wants to heal what has been torn. The Holy Spirit wants to do that, but don't rush the process. Don't rush it. If you experience the divorce, it's not like, who can I find immediately to fill this void Friends, marriage should be entered into by two whole people, not two halves of people coming in to make one. No, God takes two whole people and makes the two become one. Slow down. Work through the process. But I promise you this. There's no judgment from God on you because you've experienced it. He understands we have brokenness. But he also calls us to a standard of holiness and righteousness. And so from this day forward, those of us married, we make the commitment. Whatever it takes, God, whatever it takes to bring honor and glory to you in my marriage. And for some of you who need counseling, we got to get you in counseling. You need to get with another couple, I'll get you with another couple. But no more drifting. Wherever it is our feelings take us, 
whatever it takes, intentionally making decisions that are healthy to make sure we're bringing honor and glory to Jesus in the way that we love each other in the covenant of marriage. Does that make sense? Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, oh, I pray I brought you glory. Oh, my heart has been so heavy. And I don't pretend, God. And maybe it comes with getting older. I don't pretend to have it all figured out. What is the script? I don't know every verse. But I do know this, what you call us to do as we are married now, to be tenacious, to protect our relationships with our spouses. God, for those who are here and they are struggling, and maybe they're on the brink of divorce, but there is no justification according to your scriptures as to why they can. Oh God, would you do a work? Would you soften hearts on both ends that they could come together and look for ways to serve each other? Not one only, but both serving each other that they could experience God. Oh God, that they would experience the blessing that comes with putting the other person first. Oh Jesus, please, I pray. God, you can restore. You can, you make dead things alive. You are the God of resurrection. And so God, would you please? Oh God, give us wisdom and humility. Wanting to discern what you want us to do, God, according to your word, according to truth, and help us to figure out those things where you don't specifically say, God, help us to understand the principles and truths of your word, to apply it appropriately, not based upon our feelings or our desires, but based upon your glory. Oh, God, please. And God, if I've said anything that's not of you, I pray you would forgive me. God, I pray that we would forget it. That we'd only know when you're, you'd only know your truth. That we would walk in the freedom that comes with it. So God, thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.